truest measure of a society is how it treats its elderly, its pets, and its prisoners. Back the Night, an Andromeda series podcast. I'm Ethan Maestri. And I'm Ryan Mazzocco. Each week we take an episode... What in the world? Oh no, not again. What's going on? It's an unauthorized entry. Oh crap! Hide the scum! Get get this! Get 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 out! clear you all right man yeah i'm fine. I'm a little shaken okay but yeah okay now that we got that out of the way can you can you go on yeah yeah let's do this all right all right I'm okay good if you are all right uh, like i was saying uh, each week we take an episode of the andromeda series television show and we examine it for things that we liked and maybe disliked and we discuss it this week episode nine a rose in the ashes episode nine ethan interestingly enough you know we've been missing an episode You've been hinting at that the last few weeks. Yeah, we've always been a number off. Yeah. Uh, you know, episode eight, we were on production 109. Are we about to straighten this out? You know what? I think it's going to get cleared up. Which one are we? This one happens to be production number 105. Really? Yeah. Huh. Let's speculate. All right. Let's do it. Um, why? Why would they wait this long to put this one out there? You know, 105 comes after 104. What was production 104? Do you recall? Oh, uh, and the children shall... No, I mean, uh, uh, yeah, yeah, that one with the kids. To lose the the faithful faithful lightning. lightning. Right, that was the one with all the kids, Yeah, as you said. All right, and then all of a sudden we went off track. So maybe it's possible that they decided... Because this one has not not really kids like To Loose the Fateful Lightning had. Yeah. uh, But there are some young ones in this episode. Yeah, that's true. So maybe they decided not to get... That's a, that's a good theory, mm-hmm. and, and I, I would I would tend to agree with that. Something else has occurred to me, though. Okay. We're actually off the ship. We're off the sets for the, a, a large part of this episode. Yeah, the we? majority of it. And there is some CG effect in, in there as well. Mm-hmm. I'm wondering maybe if they had to put this one off. It got filmed earlier in, mm-hmm. the, in the series, but maybe it had to be put off a little bit for post, for, for CG, and because of the, the environment they shot in. Maybe. Theory. Mm-hmm. Who knows? We don't have access to production notes, so... No, no, we don't. <laughs> so anyway, that's our thoughts on why we are, have gotten out of line, but now, after this one, we should be back on, yep, on track. Yep, we're back on track. Okay. Well, uh, I have a little bit of, uh, of interesting uh, fun fact. Okay, well, hey, Ethan, lay it on us. Why don't you let us know what you found out? Okay. Uh, basically, we have a, a couple of guest stars that uh, I, I just wanted to, uh, to bring up in discussion here. Kimberly Warnett, uh, she plays Jessa. Uh, and you may recognize her from such series as Stargate Atlantis or Supernatural. Uh, she did a TV movie called Papa's Angels. And that was interesting because uh, she was a child in that. And her father uh, that played the father in this show was Scott Bakula. <laughs> I thought oh, it was pretty wow. interesting. This was around uh, the year 2000, about the time she, she records uh, Andromeda, same mm-hmm. year. And then playing her, I guess, older sister. Is it? Kaylee? Yeah, Kaylee. Okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's Claudette Meek, and she has done a lot of uh, television. Uh, the Fringe series, Battlestar Galactica, the the, the more recent one mm-hmm. uh, of the two. Uh, Smallville, Earth Final Conflict, so she has a little experience in Gene Roddenberry uh, productions. Uh, she played Janice Green in Earth Final Conflict. And and finally, the other guest star that we have there is uh, The Warden, mm-hmm. as he's credited on the on the script there. Uh, Bill Croft. Was, was his name. And this guy has done a lot of television throughout the 90s and, and even the 2000s. Um, and here we go. We come back to the commish. 
Whoa, he did a okay. couple of episodes of the commission back in 1991. Hmm. So I thought there again, we have, that's the thing I love about these fun facts is seeing where these guest stars and actors, mm-hmm. uh, have they appeared in television shows that I love and hold dear. Mm-hmm. And so here we have one. Um, he, he was also in the 1996 TV movie of Dr. Who, uh, the, mm-hmm. the make for, for, uh, Fox. Okay. And he played a motorcycle policeman in that. He was in a couple of episodes of the X-Files. He was in the Nick Fury Agent of S.H.I.E.L.D. TV movie from 1998. He did Stargate SG-1. And most recently, he's appeared in the Arrow television show. Okay. Yeah. So anyway, that's the uh, that's the guest stars we have for this one. And uh, let's, uh, let's get on with the show. Ryan, okay. why don't you tell us what happens in A Rose in the Ashes? Andromeda is orbiting the planet Eurasia a former member of the old system's commonwealth. On command, Harper and Trance small talk, and Harper tries to find out what planet Trance is from to no avail. Planet side, Dylan and Rami are trying to negotiate Eurasia's entry into the new system's commonwealth. This conversation goes nowhere fast, as they are without warning convicted of sedition and sentenced to life in prison. Andromeda has lost their signal and cannot locate them. Becca wants to talk to the council, but of course she doesn't have an appointment. Meanwhile, on some other planet, presumably far, far away, Hunt is brought in shackled. A very large person for him that this is Re-Education Center Helios 9. He is Sector 3 Deputy, this institution's governing artificial intelligence, or robot prison warden. Rami is there, too, but as the warden explains, women are processed separately from men. He gives Dylan his food ration disc. When Dylan inquires about how to file an appeal, the warden takes this as an attempt at humor, unshackles him, and lets him out into the prison compound. There's the usual chanting of newbie, newbie, and the first day hazing of the new prisoner, but Dylan quickly gets the respect of the prison yard when he defeats a very large furry named Zax. There was also a young girl in the woods watching the fight, streaming on her tablet. Back on Andromeda, the remaining crew discusses their options when they detect missiles launched from the surface. They retreat to safety. Back in prison, Dylan's victory attracts the attention of a young woman, Kaylee, who seems to have control of all the boys in the yard. She declares Dylan a keeper. A card is wheeled out, and the tarp is removed to reveal a caged Rami as the after-dinner entertainment. Rami and Dylan communicate through a subdermal comm. Rami can't contact the Andromeda, has no idea where they are, and can't even recharge her batteries. Back on Andromeda, they've intercepted a secret transmission showing two anti-government activists shipped off-planet to an undisclosed prison colony at the exact same time they lost their signal. They now know where they aren't, they just have to figure out where they are. In the prison yard, a clear hierarchy has been defined. Prisoners distribute the food rations unfairly. When Dylan sees this, he comes to the rescue. But the girl, the same girl with all the technology in the woods, is upset by Dylan's attempt to help her. Later, in a conversation with Kaylee, Dylan finds out that many of the people there have never committed a crime. They were born there and aren't allowed to leave. Since their parents were criminals, they are genetically predisposed to criminal behavior themselves. Just then, there is an attack by flying robots, ornithopters, like drones but with flapping wings. Jessa, the young girl that's been watching Dylan, sees him talking to Rami through their comm. She frees Rami and rushes them both to safety. Back on Andromeda, the ship is feeling a little out of sorts with Rami missing. The good news, Harper has traced the nav signals of the only three ships to leave Eurasia while they were there, and has presumably found the location of Dylan and Rami. Back in Jessa's tent, Jessa tries to get Dylan to help her defeat the prison yard regime led by Kaylee. Dylan refuses to get involved, but says the real solution is to get out of there. Jessa says it's impossible, with a small demonstration. She flies one of those ornithopters into the sky, only for it to make like a summer moth to a back porch bug zapper, Automated defense systems encircle the entire planet. No one is getting in, no one is getting out. Apparently, building and operating these ornithopters is a capital offense. It's shakedown time. Back on Andromeda, they re-enter normal space to find... nothing. Part of the prison's security is leaving a false signature. Andromeda references the Maru's records for any prison colonies in the area. They come up with a list of 348 possible locations. Trance picks that one, because it's pretty. With no better ideas, they head that way. 
Meanwhile, Jessa is working on a makeshift battery for Rami when the shakedown makes its way to them. Dylan is incapacitated as Tessa is taken by the wardens. After he revives, Dylan continues working on Rami's battery with little success. In the meantime, the warden is busy interrogating and torturing Tessa. Andromeda approaches the planet. Harper thinks Trance may have guessed right, and Becca and Tyr prepare to go down in the Maru. Dylan tries to sneak his way to rescue Tessa when the Andromeda makes contact. Rami and Dylan both try to tell them to abort and not come down. When confronted by Zax, Dylan tries to get his and Kaylee's help to rescue Jessa. Dylan tries to play on Kaylee's emotions by revealing that he knows that they are sisters. As the compound's automated defense opens fire on Dylan and the others for a seditious conversation, Rami manages to get her hands in the battery and gain a boost of power. They break into the warden's office. Zax dies in the process. As the Maru nears the surface, they are being hit by the surface defenses and realize they might be in real big trouble. Kaylee shoots the warden with her crossbow. He shrugs it off and grabs her neck and she falls to the ground. Rami leaps in just in time and saves the day. Rami does something at the control panel and makes the robot warden's head explode. Captain Kirk would have been proud. Kaylee dies, Jessa cries, and Dylan has work to do. He deactivates the defense system just in time for the Maru to get through and perform a heroic rescue. Jessa decides to stay on the re-educational center, but hopes Dylan will come back and see their progress. Back on Andromeda, Dylan plays coin toss with Trance. Of course, she picks Tails, which it is. Dylan asks about how she found them. She says it was just a lucky guess. Dylan leaves her with the coin as she continues to repeatedly guess the coin flip. The end. You know, Ryan, I like me a good bowl of kibble every once in a while. Mm -hmm. But I think at this prison, Mm -hmm. they really are serving puppy chow. Mm -hmm. That's exactly what it looks like. Yeah, it doesn't look good, does it? No. I understand it's probably supposed to be all the essential ingredients or nutrients that a a, a living uh, meat bag would need. Mm Mm-hmm. It doesn't look appropriate for human consumption, though. No. <laughs> no. So for them gross. to be fighting over it like that and controlling it, wow, that's uh, must be desperate. Well, yeah, I mean, it, it's the only thing you've got. So as as terrible as it is, it's all there is. Yeah, and, and then and then to to show just how desperate it is, we go a step further and we make kibble wine. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> that just, ugh, that just. Uh, it just sounds nasty. Mm-hmm. Okay, Zax, was that just not the worst costume you've ever seen in your life? <laughs> you referenced him as a furry. Mm-hmm. Quite appropriate. <laughs> Quite appropriate. He looked like a mascot. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> with, a, with a slightly larger head, he could have been a Wisconsin badger <laughs> or something to that effect. Yeah, that was not their best effort. In the, in the costume department, mm-hmm. I don't think. Yeah. Well, they had to create something big and scary. Yeah. And I don't know. I think it was probably just a, an extra large Magog costume. Yeah. And they changed the head. Although, interestingly enough, with the, the gray and the black striping, mm-hmm. it reminded me of the, uh, what was the Ewok witch doctor okay. on The Return of the Jedi? Uh-huh. That's, I had, I had visions of that. Okay. Just a much larger and uglier version. <laughs> okay. Well, you could tell that it was a furry suit on a person. Yeah. It's... It was unfortunate. Yeah. But as we've already established, there was the, the just the fact that they got off of the Andromeda set. <laughs> yeah. That's, there's, there was the budget. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So you have what you have. Make the best of it. Kind of like this podcast. Thanks. <laughs> <laughs> it's nice to see that uh, bureaucracy is as cumbersome and inefficient uh, on other worlds mm-hmm. as it is on ours, the one that we that we currently exist and live on. Mm-hmm. Um, the Eura- not Eurasians, <laughs> man, Eurasians. Um, you had something to say about their about their costumes. Oh, well, while speaking we're on of costumes, subject, yeah. yeah, okay. Well, um, I think they all uh, they must really dig the Imperial Guard <laughs> costumes. Yes, all red, mm-hmm. flowing robes. It, it it was funny. Um, I understand you know the, the covered faces, mm-hmm. but you need to make that a, a a slightly stiffer material so that when you're speaking, it's not constantly <laughs> blowing out at you. Well, I think they did that. That way, they know who's talking. Uh, possibly. Yeah, I get. They could have used over exaggerated gestures so we know which one's talking. Yeah, but they decided let's just make the face a little kind of. 
poofy when it when they talk. Yeah, you know. Um, interestingly, too, about that, it it's not just for this 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 tribunal, these higher ranking officials on this planet. Um, the secretary's wearing the exact same thing. Yes, the, or the receptionist, who who reminded me a lot of. Do you remember the old? SNL skits when David Spade was, he would be the the secretary, and he was just always real flippant, never cared about. Yeah, yeah. This receptionist for the Eurasians reminded me a lot of that of, a, of an SNL character. Yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah it's just yeah, okay. Well, yeah, you're still going to need to make an appointment. Yeah, not helpful at all. No, <laughs> just just not helpful at all. <laughs> no, and it was interesting. This people, the Eurasians. This is the epitome of holding a grudge. Mm-hmm. I mean, we're 300 years past the fall of the Commonwealth, but dadgum, they're going to hold mm-hmm. whatever remnant of the Commonwealth. We're holding them responsible for this. Mm-hmm. Everything that we've dealt with for the last 300 years, Nietzscheans, Magog, whatever you know, has contributed to our crappy society mm-hmm. and these dumb robes that we have to wear, <laughs> you know, we're going to hold that against you, mm-hmm. Dylan Hunt. <laughs> And the Commonwealth. Mm-hmm. So, uh, yeah, that's uh, they're they're not uh, uh, they don't live and let die. That's yeah, for sure. Well, at least uh, one good thing that they hold to is the right to a speedy trial. True. Maybe a little too speedy. I, I <laughs> yeah. don't really remember the trial actually taking place. It's just <laughs> like, hello, welcome to our planet. Uh, you're guilty of sedition. Yeah. Now you're going to prison for life. <laughs> yeah. Before he could even turn his head around, what? Yeah, they zap him. Zap They're him. unconscious. Yeah, let's uh, not lead him off to the to the prison mm-hmm. or to the brig or whatever. It's just you know, put him down for the count. Yeah, <laughs> I thought it was kind of interesting too. Dylan he uses a throwback, uh, not just from the old systems Commonwealth, but he goes back three thousand years. He talks about a government by the people of the people and for the people. Yeah, that's going back a ways. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, that was. That was interesting that that would pop up. Mm -hmm. And I think it's interesting, too, that he uses this expression, which is it's an important phrase in in United States history. Yeah. This is being filmed and produced in Canada. Mm. Yeah, that's true. So maybe it's just because um, United States history is more well known than Canadian history. Or they know the audience is going to be primarily in the United States. I don't know. Could be. How about that? Uh, how about the the prison yard? Dylan gets processed, comes out of the warden's office, basically into a scene from Mad Max, mm-hmm. and like we we had already talked about the uh, what was it? Zach. Zach. What mm-hmm. was? He, did they say what he was? He I don't was think they did. A, a big undefeated monster. Okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. So yeah, the prison yard is is rough looking, and like I alluded, alluded to earlier, they don't have much to fight over, mm-hmm. but they want to just fight. Yeah. <laughs> So, well, there's yeah. always something to fight for. There's there's control. Yeah. Uh, I mean, this happens in, in regular prison systems now. There's not much to fight for there. Yeah. I, I just, I think it's interesting. And I mean, it, it all comes down to casting and whatnot. I mean, you have this character, Kay Lee, who is obviously supposed to be rough and tumble. But the casting pick that they made, um, I, I've already forgotten what her name was. Um, Claudette Mink. Claudette Mink, uh, she doesn't really look look the part. Mm-hmm. You look around that courtyard, there, there was a lot of rougher looking people. Mm-hmm. I mean, you would, I don't know, this is just a, a, a nitpick on my part, I suppose. It seems like there would have been someone bigger, stronger, uglier mm-hmm. <laughs> that, that might have taken over that. And now as I'm saying that, I'm realizing, well, she was pretty good looking. Mm-hmm. So there was probably some... Yeah. A reason why she could hold sway over such a large group, I suppose. Mm-hmm. Anyway, just an observation. Yeah, in that that fight with Zax, I thought that was uh, that was kind of funny because when you were doing the recap of an affirming flame, the second episode, uh, you made a reference to Dylan acting like Kevin McAllister doing some Home Alone moves. Yes. Well, we got another Home Alone move. You remember when uh, he dumped the marbles out on the floor yes. and then had the bad guys run across them and they, they slipped on the marbles? Yep. Yeah, well, we got a marble move here. We did. Yeah. You're he, absolutely right. He dumps out the, the nuts or whatever the they kibble. were. Yeah. I don't think that was actually the kibble because there was an awful lot of it there. Yeah. Was that the kibble? I think it was the kibble. Yeah. Whatever that stuff was that was in that trough, he dumps it out. 
and Zach slips and falls, and there yeah. there he gets the, the upper hand. So, you know, another reason to watch Home Alone. You never know when you're going to need those moves. And it, it apparently is going to keep showing up, perhaps in the series continuously. Boy, so. I sure hope so. <laughs> uh, I'm thinking, Ryan, motorcycle helmets should be standard issue in all prison systems. Or at least for... I think the police should all wear motorcycle helmets, mm-hmm. just regardless of what they're doing. Okay. Because... That was pretty. That was pretty cool. <laughs> when they're doing the raid on the camp, mm-hmm. did you notice? Almost kind of had a RoboCop feel. It did. Yeah. It did a little bit, didn't it? Um, yeah. You know, this is just a little nitpicky thing. I don't know that I had had noticed. I had seen this before in some of the other characters, some of the other makeup, um, but I I didn't notice it as much in Trance before. But in this particular episode, there was there was something that was really just just very obvious to me. Did you notice her eye makeup being a little different? Um, I didn't notice anything about eye makeup. There was something else I noticed about trance. Okay. But go ahead. Well, we'll come back to that. She didn't have the, the, the purple right around her eyes. It was regular flesh colored. The whole circle around her eyes was, was flesh color. Ah, as if okay. they just stuck a quarter on her eye. And then put the makeup paint. around it. Yeah. And then they didn't actually do her, her eyelids. Hmm. And it was flesh colored. And it was a very defined circle. I don't recall that standing out in previous episodes like it did this one, but it really bothered me. Mm-hmm. She, wh- why is her eyelids not purple like the rest of her body? Yeah. And does... is I don't know does this is is that a style that they continue with going forward i don't remember we're gonna have to wait and watch another episode Mm -hmm. aren't we okay yeah i I will watch again next week i'll look for that okay uh otherwise we may have you may have just pointed out another perhaps a production problem Mm -hmm. (laughs) uh the thing that i noticed about trance in this episode right from the get-go well besides the fact that harper is looking to her to reveal something about herself her origin planet Mm -hmm. you know and she's dodging it Mm -hmm. she's reluctant to reveal that i thought that was interesting Mm -hmm. but also what about the the tattoo Mm -hmm. did you notice the tattoo on her left shoulder yeah okay uh is that is that laura bertram's tattoo and they they just didn't cover it or is this is this part of trance that is Laura Bertram's tattoo. Okay. And they liked it, and they decided to use it. Left it there. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Yep. Interesting. You know, that whole um, back and forth between Harper and Trance at the beginning, where he's using the questionnaire or the, the Commonwealth uh, Oath, Constitution, whatever it is, yeah. where he's trying to get Trance to answer the questions, trying to find out where... It reminded me of the episode of Seinfeld, when Elaine thought that maybe she was in an interracial relationship, but she didn't know for sure. If you if you haven't seen it, that sounds very confusing. Yes. <laughs> and I might have missed that one. Yeah, basically what it was, her boyfriend, some people on the show thought that he may have been of a, of a different background, and some people thought maybe not, and she didn't know what to go with. So she's filling out a warranty card. And so she's asking him all of these questions. <laughs> and it was just funny because... <laughs> because they're obvious. Yeah. And she's yeah. like, okay, name, whatever, age, who cares? Huh, race. <laughs> but anyway, he does the same thing. He doesn't answer the question. So she still doesn't know. Yeah. So... <clears throat> so it, we had that whole play going yeah, on for I, this I episode. Wish, I wish that you knew what that episode was so I didn't have to explain the whole thing. <laughs> I could have just said, oh, like that episode of Seinfeld, remember? Yeah. With the warranty card. And Sorry. That's okay. It, it adds time to the episode yeah. that I can cut out later, probably. <laughs> okay, let's let's get down to some, some costume. You know, you've already brought up sax, as we discussed before. But uh, first of all, I, I just want to say... I really like uh, Becca. Mm-hmm. They've they finally in these now nine episodes, they finally have struck upon a nice combination, and and I don't know why it stood out to me. I typically don't notice these sorts of things. My wife gets a haircut, and it'll it, it'll be days before <laughs> I notice it's a different style or she's had it colored slightly differently or what. It, it, I'm not that observant, mm-hmm. but for some reason I'm watching this episode. And Becca's costume and her hair 
they they got it right and they you know they've tried all these different looks it feels like or it mm-hmm. seems like i'm you know, thinking back over the course of the nine episodes or so and it, it just mm, mm, it wasn't working it wasn't working and then boom mm-hmm. it, it works now and i thought she looked really good for this episode um uh, just my personal observation on this and then the other thing i noticed um dylan gets basically a standard blue prison outfit why is Rami uh, stuck in essentially a Princess Leia ensemble with a, a fishnet over the top of it? Well, it's good TV. <laughs> yeah, I, I got nothing else. Yeah, it's... just just an interesting <laughs> call. That's an interesting outfit to throw. Basically, you're throwing her to the dogs. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and uh, yeah. yeah, those are jerks. Do they to not put them know? In an outfit like that. Do they not know that she is an android? They might not. I mean, does that get through the screening somehow? I mean, do they not do they not run them through a, an X-ray machine or something? Has there got any metal in your pockets? Well, I'm kind of made of metal. Of I might set your machine off. Yeah, <laughs> it's, but it's just because I'm entirely comprised of metal, maybe with, with some flesh on the outside. Maybe Rami just says, "I've got a plate in my head," and yeah. you just just don't even bother. Yeah, uh, yeah. That that brings up a good point because if they did scan her. And suddenly they realize what they've got. They, this is a fully functional android with mm-hmm. an artificial intelligence running it. This is money. Mm-hmm. And, and obviously this is a, a prison that's run by uh, a commercial or private company. It's not run by any government. Mm-hmm. It's for profit. Right. Well, <laughs> this could be a major payday. Yeah. Yeah. So it's a, it, whatever that process, the processing, whatever mm-hmm. it is. A little bit lax. Yeah. Well, maybe that's just, that's maybe that's not in the programming. Uh, there are, there are no biological beings there running the 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 prison. True. It's all it's all automated androids yeah. and and AI. So maybe it doesn't know to look for that kind of stuff. Yeah. You would think it would. You would think. You would think. But then we wouldn't have the episode we got. Yeah. If they somehow held Rami as a. You know, waiting to be p- picked up by salvagers or something like well, that. Well, maybe that's a whole new subplot that that could have been interesting. That could have been. Mm-hmm. And she has to get out of that herself, find her own source of power, and 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 break out of that, and then reunite with Dylan and save the day at the last second. Yeah. But it's easier to say that they probably just you know maybe did a, a cavity search and threw in the Princess Leia outfit and just said, Psh. yeah. Take care of yourself. We're going to lock you in this cage, wheel you out into the courtyard. Yeah. <laughs> Take care of yourself from there on. Have we seen Rami fight? No, we haven't. Other than, well, we will at the end of this episode. All she does is walk up and yeah, just electrocutes give, or give does him. something to the to the warden. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, even if even if we have never seen her fight, we, we're throughout sci-fi, we're familiar with androids. Androids always have superior computing power, superior strength, mm-hmm. which would really be useful right now. If she had the power. Yeah, that might be. I mean, we're talking about a Rami in the cage basically going into safe mode. Yeah. <laughs> because there's there's not enough power for her. She's running low. Mm-hmm. It kind of makes you wonder how long her batteries really last then. Because it hasn't really been that long. She's an iPhone generation two or three. I guess. Yeah. <laughs> very very short battery life so far. Yeah, she it, might get an upgrade later. She's probably running too many apps on the trip over, and <laughs> it just drained her battery. It was just supposed to be a trip down to uh, Eurasia and back. Yeah. You know, maybe she didn't even have a full charge when she left the ship. Yeah, probably. You know, I love nerd discussions <laughs> like that. I really do. You know, another thing I thought that was interesting about... Uh, Maybe not Andromeda, but but or not Rami, but Andromeda, the ship. Because in the past, uh, we've heard Andromeda say things such as, I'm a warship, I don't like to back down from a fight. Yeah. Andromeda wants to talk in this situation. Yeah. I thought that was kind of strange. She wasn't just, all right, let's arm up, let's shoot some missiles, let's get our guys back, or whatever we got to do. But let's fight our way through this. She This time she says, no, I really think we should talk. And I think that's because of Dylan's absence. Mm-hmm. She realizes in that situation she needs to be a little bit more of a voice of reason. 
And I think as an, I think that's cool if you apply that to the fact that she's an artificial intelligence, which means that she's able to learn and she's able to adapt. Mm-hmm. So, I, yeah, I thought that was cool that she would be the voice of reason in that situation. Uh, something else about Rami and Andromeda that mm-hmm. I noticed, uh, the whole sequence where Andromeda is talking with Trance mm-hmm. about Rami being off the ship. Right. And how it, how she's, uh, she said right. it was like losing her a left hand. Right. Um, so, yeah, the, she's suffering. Uh, there's an effect mm-hmm. with Rami being gone for that extended period of time. And I think it's interesting that the ship itself recognizes that mm-hmm. and has a reaction to it. Yeah, she's acting all loopy. Yeah. <laughs> she's making weird decisions and not, not giving them the things that they ask for. And You're, you're right, yeah, because yeah. she says it's like part of herself is disconnected. It's gone. Yeah. yeah. Which... It's just—it's kind of interesting because Rami has not really been part of her for all that long. Right. It's basically just been the the Andromeda that you see on the view screen and the Andromeda that's a hologram. Yeah. And so now you kind of have the three of them. No, that's really. I, I think it's. I think it's cool what they're doing, at least so far, with taking an AI that is the ship, and and now putting a body to it, and now having that AI have to get used to the real world, the physical world, not just in and immediately outside the ship, but now with the, the avatar, the, the, the Android mm-hmm. and having to deal with it because obviously with situations like what we have, they can't remain together constantly. There are going to be those times when, you know, when Rami is going to be away. So it's interesting to, to see how they, right. how they interact. Hey, Ethan, I got a question. What do you got? What is your favorite line from this episode? <laughs> oh, man. You know what my line is. I texted you twice about it. <laughs> <laughs> no, that fight sequence at the end. Um, yeah, I'm just going to say this. In general, I love the show for some of its campiness. Mm-hmm. And here we had a great camp line. <laughs> Um, Kaylee breaks in with Dylan and, and obviously Rami's there bringing up the rear. Um, she, Kaylee, you mentioned it. Kaylee mm-hmm. shoots the arrow or, or no, it, the warden says something I think about unauthorized entry. Mm-hmm. And then Kaylee has the, the great line. I'll show you unauthorized entry <laughs> and then shoots the bow and arrow into the, into the warden's chest. Uh-huh. And I roared <laughs> in laughter <laughs> And it was just, I, this is, that's a line from a B movie. <laughs> let's, let's step it back. That might be C movie line, mm-hmm. you know? And it was just, it was campy mm-hmm. and I loved it. And, and I think I texted that about, I love this show mm-hmm. because it, it's, it's one of those moments where you can tell they're not taking it terribly seriously. And I love it when a show can do that. They tell good story. They have great ideas because of the production value. They can't give it everything that they want to see on camera. So let's just have some fun with it. Mm-hmm. And it, and it felt like a moment where they were just having fun with it. Mm-hmm. And I, 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 I love that. That's probably my favorite line out of this whole first season. Um, and it didn't even come from one of the regulars. It was from <laughs> one of the guest stars. Great. Right. Just great. who immediately after did not back up at all from the <clears throat> warden. What is up with that? I, I mean, you're supposed to be big and bag and ha- big and bad and have control of this prison. You, duck, <laughs> <laughs> sidestep. Right. Well, it's like Ronald Reagan said, "I forgot to duck." <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, the thing that I want to know about this is is what exactly did the warden do? Okay. Yeah. Because, because I had the same thought. Yeah. Okay. He goes up. He grabs her throat. She drops limp to the ground. Yeah. Okay. My first thought is he snapped her neck. Yes. She's dead. Should be. Uh, everything else I've ever seen when a when a neck is snapped, mm-hmm. instant death. Yeah. But is that what happened here? Well, she she fell to the ground. We cut another three minutes of life. Yeah. So <laughs> I don't I don't know. I'm trying to figure out what it was that he did. Did he somehow? I mean, maybe it wasn't. A hangman's break or or whatever, so that she just dead. Yeah. Or maybe it was some other kind of a break, and it took a little while for her for her for her systems to shut down or something. But or or maybe it was because he actually grabbed her from the front, so maybe it had something to do with her circulatory system. Maybe he just crushed her trachea or something. Yeah, but she was 
she was she talking. wasn't struggling for breath. <laughs> yeah, she was just laying there. I mean, she was kind of I don't want to say convulsing because she wasn't, but no. she was she was slightly twitching a little bit. Yeah, that very first shot that they showed her again after she had fallen to the ground, her shoulder was kind of twitching just a little bit, but it also wasn't like one of those twitching like loss of all control. Right. You know, but she still is able to stay alive for at least long enough to have this conversation with Jessa. With her sister, yeah. I don't know. I cannot figure out what it is that he did to her. I mean, he knows how I, to kill. Honestly, yeah. Uh, uh, yeah. And, and why, if he, why didn't Here's he the, just, just boom, dead? Right. Because you know he could have. Well, here we are, Ryan. I mean, we're we're at a TV show. I would reimagine that whole scene entirely different. Um, I was thinking about that and I have to get my sequence back in order again. Basically they walk in, they need to have that conversation between Jessa and, and Kaylee first. Right. And the warden's not there and, and Dylan's not there. Kaylee comes in, they have their exchange. She's saying, Dylan's helping us. Um, then the warden walks in and then they have the interaction and she needs to just die. Uh-huh. <laughs> That's how it should have happened. It wasn't written that way. And so you just have to accept that he didn't snap her neck, but he obviously did some sort of damage that she's only got a couple of minutes to live. Right. But then do you have that opportunity for that closure between the two sisters if there is not that inevitability of of immediate death coming right now? You're right. I mean... Yeah, you, you, you don't... Yeah. There is no catharsis. There is no... Yeah, there is no uh, uh, Paul of like you said, finality hanging over the mm-hmm. the conversation. I don't know. I guess there is no good way of doing it. There is no easy way of explaining it. It it's That's how it unfolded on camera. Best not to think too hard about such things. Yeah, I guess so. I don't, I don't know. It was just, it was weird for me. So I, honestly, I mean, I was still laughing over the camp <laughs> campy line. And that was the joy for me in that uh-huh. moment. So the rest of it was, uh, Oh, she died. What about, uh, the battery? How do you explain the battery? I mean, yeah, I get the, the science, roughly. Um, but Jessa works on it. She gets taken away. Dylan's working on it. He says he's not having much success with it. Yeah. It's not, it's not, it's really not, it's going nowhere. But Rami can figure it out. Rami doesn't figure anything out. She just goes over there and sticks her hands in the each well, of the tubs. She does, doesn't she? Yeah. That's right. She's just like, she knows there that the again. Maru's coming, yeah. and she's trying to tell them to back off, to abort, get out of here, but they, they're not hearing this. So she just gets up, walks over, and sticks her hands in the two, uh, the two tubs. Well, obviously she's got leads in her hands. Yeah. <laughs> of course. In a, in, a, in, a, in a battery that isn't quite working. Mm-hmm. I hear again. I, you just have to, best not to think about such things too deeply. Well, I don't know. I mean, it's 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 not working, and now it is. Yeah, that's just that was what was weird. And maybe if if they had given her a little bit of time to look at it and say, "Oh, I need, I know what needs to happen here for this to work." Yeah, and then she's able to cobble something up together real quick, you know, in like in data speed. Yeah, and yeah. then and then she sticks her hands in, and then she charges up, and then okay, I can buy that. But we didn't get any of that. No. Yeah. So it it there again. It is what's on camera. You just have to accept it. Well, I, I can't accept that. <laughs> hey, where did that perimeter attack come from? We were talking about that before. It came from above, from the perimeter. Okay. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, was that Jessa? I, I, did she launch that attack? I don't. I don't know. I mean, it, uh, I, I'm not. I'm not missing something here. You're. You're in the same boat I am. I, yeah, it's a. It's a little fuzzy. They don't really say um there are a few clues um one of them being that jessa has one of these yeah. at her tent yeah and also this attack created enough of a of a confusion and and diversion there inside the the, the prison yard that that was when jessa took the opportunity to bust out rami and get dylan and take the two of them back to her tent yeah but the, uh, I guess the thing is, is the courtyard and everybody in it, everybody seemed to know how to react. 
yeah. when this attack begins. So it, it, it's almost like this has happened before. Right. It's like they've done drills on this. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, and, and I'm just, I'm wondering, there was no exposition on that Mm-mm. whatsoever. Even, there was no explanation from Jessa either. Mm-hmm. Hey, I, you know, glad I could get you out of here. You know, we, the, right. there, there was none of that. Right. It just happens. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and I guess that's, all of this that we've talked about is really kind of in, in the same thread. There are things happening and there's no explanation for them happening. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. I, I want to talk about my opinion of this episode now. <laughs> Don't do but that. But let's wait. Don't do that. Let's yet. wait. Let's let's move on to the You next have a step. tendency to jump. I know. Let's I know. <clears throat> okay. Um but going on those those ornithopters though. Okay, Jessa, we can see that she is very very intelligent. And I can buy that. It's it's a little hard to believe that she knows as much as she does with no formal education system there. True. Um, she seems to know things. I'm not sure how she would understand, um, you know, especially some of the chemistry and the mechanics. Uh, algebra. Where did she learn algebra? Okay, but let's go beyond that. Let's pretend, okay, yeah, somehow or another, she's able to know all of this stuff that she doesn't. Well, let's, let's take it this way. Okay. Obviously, she doesn't have parents now. She, yeah, they've they've been lost along the way there, but maybe she had time with them. Yeah, so that maybe one or the both of them had a background in yeah. which they were well educated, and maybe they passed that along to her. Yeah, and like I say, okay, I can kind of yeah. kind of buy that. Mm-hmm. Uh, even with that explanation, I don't entirely buy that she's as smart as. I don't want to say that it's not that she's as not she's not as smart. But how she acquires the knowledge. Someone can be extremely intelligent, but not know very much. I put myself in that category. All right. (laughs) (laughs) See, I'm just the opposite. (laughs) I know tons of stuff, but I'm not very smart. (laughs) But, okay, so even if she does have all this knowledge and she has all this smarts, where is she getting all the stuff? Yeah, here again, I, I I have that same problem too. This is obviously a resource strapped world. Yeah, I mean you can't get anything in the environment to work with. No, you can't grow food. Mm-mm. Um, I mean they're living in ramshackle tents. Right, looks like a uh, ghetto. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and, and there's nothing inside the compound to use either. Mm-hmm. I mean obviously the the warden and his cronies aren't going to allow you to start stripping down one of their guns for resources or anything like that. Mm-hmm. So yeah, where does, where does all of this stuff come from? Yeah. Well, I mean, at the beginning when she's watching the fight between Dylan and Zach's, she's watching it on, I joked in my summary, she's watching on her tablet, but seriously, it's, it didn't look that much different than what I have right in front of me right here. No, you're right. I mean, I've got a, a tablet, a Samsung tablet. No, I'm not, we're not paid. <laughs> By Samsung. This episode of Drive Back the Night brought to you by Samsung. <laughs> no, but I mean, it's it didn't look that much different than what I'm looking... Or a pad from Star Trek. Yeah. It wasn't that much different from something like that. Where where do they get all of the... Those are very complicated um, gadgets. Right. Even in 3,000 years from now, when you're in a place that has absolutely nothing... These are extremely complicated gadgets. I will say this. Uh, throughout even, you know, our modern history, um, there are ways of, of getting things. You know, people smuggle, people do. And here we come back to Rami gets into the prison system as an android and apparently just comes right on through the, the process center. Mm-hmm. Uh, they don't know, okay. or at least it seems they don't know who she is or what she is. Mm-hmm. Maybe there's a system like that in place. Obviously, this is a, like we alluded to before, this is a commercially run business. Mm-hmm. And their standards are their, it's it's lax. Their right. security is lax. So maybe there is somebody that's able to, on occasion, funnel in some, quote unquote, luxury items. Okay. All maybe right. that happens. Okay, I can buy that. But how does Kaylee get all this stuff? She's at the bottom of the totem pole. But maybe she's the only one intelligent enough 
to put it to use. Yeah, but these people are selfish and cruel and stupid. They say, oh, hey, there's just all this really cool stuff that this really smart girl that lives out in the woods, she could put it to really good use, but instead, I'm going to smash it. Or... That's she what could, that's she, what Zax would do. That's true. Was, I'm going to eat this. Or you know? maybe maybe she just barters for it. Yeah, maybe. <laughs> well, that that leads us down a whole other discussion that we probably don't really need to get into. No. But. Well, maybe not specifically, but it does kind of lead us on to uh, probably the next point. Okay. Okay. There is procreation on this prison planet. Yes. And it's a very very sad thing because of the way. Kaylee describes mm-hmm. what happens to the children that are born on this planet. Yeah. Kaylee's one of them. So is Jessa. We've already kind of mentioned that. Man, that whole idea of your parents were criminals, so you're a criminal. Yeah. That's pretty heavy. Guilty by association. Yeah. Forevermore. Yeah. <laughs> no hope. Yeah, that is, it's bleak. Mm-hmm. A very bleak existence. Think of how difficult that would be to to live in society that way. But see, that's the thing. We've had that in societies in the past. Mm-hmm. Maybe not necessarily with prisoners, but slaves. Mm-hmm. I mean, up until 150, 175 years ago, that existed in the country that we live in, the United States. Mm-hmm. I mean, your parents got sold into slavery, and you were born, and now you're owned mm-hmm. in perpetuity. Yeah. Um, in a lot of ways, that's that's how that's how it worked. And so, any kind of society that would that would subscribe to that says a lot about that society that would allow that to exist. And I kind of think that's a little bit different um, because slavery, um, slavery in this country, in the United States, as, as tragic and terrible as it was, the fact is um, the ones that were enslaved were viewed as being uh, less than human. They were viewed as being property. Property, yeah. Exactly. And so, so, I mean, those slave owners didn't view them as people. They didn't view them as anything any different than their, their oxen or their cattle. Well, yeah. And so, I mean, if, you're, if your livestock reproduces, well, th- th- that's your livestock. Mm-hmm. The product is yours. Yeah. And so you're and saying if, that's different than how this prison system looked at these? Yeah. Um. <laughs> uh, no, hold on. I, I disagree okay. because Kaylee herself, as they're talking about it, or was it Jess? I, one of them said, uh, wait, I, I have the quote here. Uh, Dylan at one point says, it's the system that's broken. Yeah. Kaylee says, no, it's working exactly the way they want it. Yeah. Because as she points out, they're just inventory. Yeah. They're just, they're, they're owned by this company that runs this prison. Okay. Well, I guess maybe I wasn't thinking of it that way. Um, because, okay, going back to the slave owners, okay, they, they did own these people as property. Mm-hmm. Um, I guess I wasn't thinking of these prisoners as being property, but more prisoners. Yeah. Um, there's, I don't, is there any financial incentive for having more people in the prison? I, I think so. Because based on, on today, in modern society today a lot of prisons are being handed over to private companies Mm -hmm. and for however many prisoners they have they get paid based on the number of prisoners that they have in within their walls and so i think that that plays very well into this story and exactly what kaylee says their inventory Mm -hmm. the more that's in there the more that company is getting paid to take care of them the problem is nobody's checking on them and those people those prisoners that inventory is not being taken care of. Okay, well, there there may be something to that. I mean, I just when I was watching it, I wasn't thinking of it that way. Yeah. I mean, it got it kind of does make sense because I'm also on one hand thinking they got to take care of all these people. They got to provide kibble for all these people. Why aren't they keeping the men and women separate? Yeah. Yeah. And that would make things a whole lot easier. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's no incentive to. All all yeah. that all it comes down to is the number of uh, living bodies. Uh, on their property. Yeah. Okay. Well, I I can't disagree with you. I wanted to, but you you present a good argument, sir. <laughs> well, thank you. I think it's the first time in my life anyone's told me that. Yeah. So let's let's talk about what we take away from this episode. Okay. What what have we got? You know what? This 
episode was all about Dylan. But this show was not at all about Dylan. <laughs> yeah. I mean, we got to see his heroics and how he deals with other people and, and Rami and everything like that. Building a better society, building yeah. a better world, yeah. But I got to say, really, this whole episode is about trance. I agree wholeheartedly. Yeah, from, from the very get-go, mm -hmm. when you see her, she's unwilling to reveal her origin. Mm -hmm. She's being dodgy about that. But then, when it comes down to, uh, we got to find them. Right. We got 300 worlds to pick from. What does she do? Mm-hmm. That one. She, and why? Yeah, because it's pretty. Bull. Yeah. <laughs> Bull. Yeah. How about because she knows that that's where they are. Yeah. Somehow. Yep. She knows. Um, and you know, and then it also at the end just ties the whole thing back up again because after Dylan leaves, she's got his little, uh, his food ration disc Yep. and she's, she just keeps playing the game. Heads flip, yeah. tails flip. I mean, she heads. gets to the point she's not even looking yeah. anymore. No. She's yeah, like, yeah. She, yeah, I know what that is. I'm, I'm, <laughs> no one's looking, so I don't actually have to play the game anymore. <laughs> now I know I can. Yeah. yeah you can almost it's almost like she's saying to herself, come on, people make it hard for me. You know? <laughs> Make me work a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. No, there's more going on with her. And, and if if you were unwilling to believe that in any of the previous episodes, now it's it's in your face. Yeah. It's you cannot ignore it. Right. You know, something's up with her. There's a reason why she's being dodgy. There's a reason why she knows things that really shouldn't be known. Right. So yeah, I agree with you. This was this was definitely uh, a more even more eye opening um about trance as a character and, and, and what's going on in her mind. Yep. All right, so here's something I'll say. The truest measure of a society is how it treats its elderly, its pets, and its prisoners. That, of course, is our quote for the episode. Uh, that's uh, from the Keeper of the Way, Vision of Faith, 7, Commonwealth Year, 9891. Uh, so, Ethan, we'll let you tackle that first. What, what, do you, what do you take away from that quote? In context with this universe, with the with the episode. Well, I, I think we've we've been talking about it already in in the course of this episode, and I think I've touched on it. Uh, we see here a society, well, not really a society. The, the civilization has has broken apart, and now rising up out of that are these prison systems that are run by private companies, and you know they they're corrupt. You know, it's all about the bottom line, and so this. Uh, can I get the quote one more time? The truest measure of society is how it treats its elderly, its pets, and its prisoners. Right. Okay. So, yeah, it, it's the bottom line is what matters. And so now you, you've come down to the most base of, of human or alien, whatever, what have you, emotion. Uh, it, it's about the bottom line. It's not about the people. They're not concerned with treating people the way they should be treated or ought to be treated. It's whatever makes them money. You know, and that's, I, I think it's very telling because we see that trend in society today. There are prison systems, even in this country, uh, in the United States, that are going to private companies. And, you know, the standards you know, from the outside looking in, the standards aren't as good as, you know, when the state was taking care of, uh, of the system, according to, to some. So I, I think it's, it's very telling. You have a little microcosm in this. You're seeing... Uh, this one prison, but if you apply that to the, what was it, how many other prisons they yeah, had in the 348. system? Yeah, something like that. So if you apply that across 300 some odd prison systems, um, yeah, there's a lot of people being mistreated. <laughs> and so it says a lot about how far society has fallen, you know, since the fall of the Commonwealth in just 300 years time. Mm -hmm. I, 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 yeah, this this saying has a lot of direct bearing on on what we see take place in this episode. Yeah, I agree. A lot of times they're they're a little more vague. Uh, we're not exactly they're not spelled out for us quite as easily as this one. And, and yeah, it, that's exactly what I think of it when when I watch this episode. I think about this quote. Um, if we're judging this society based on how it treats its in this case prisoners then it's in real bad shape right now. Absolutely, yeah. I mean, they, they just, they take them, they leave them on this planet to live or die. I don't really care. You know, just whatever happens, 
Um, they try to make it look like they're taking care of them to some extent. They feed them. Uh, but as far as what actually happens in the prison yard, well, they're their own society now. It's, yeah. it's their own problem. Lord of the Flies in yeah. the courtyard. <laughs> yeah, it really is. Yeah. Yeah. And you said about how it relates to this episode, you know, as we've been going along and as I watched like the first series or season and a half, uh, looking at these quotes at the beginning of them and now as we're going back and watching them, I'm trying to think without seeing the titles, you know, just queuing up the, the episode and watching it, um, seeing the, the screen and trying to remember, okay, what episode was this? Okay. It's a, it's a hard thing to do mm-hmm. or has been so far mm-hmm. until this episode. Yeah. And, and I saw it and I'm like, oh, this is the prison episode, <laughs> you know, cause so you're right. It has a direct bearing on, mm-hmm. on the episode and what we see portrayed in it. And in society today, uh, I think this, this quote has a lot of bearing in, in our real universe. Um, we've talked a little bit already about, about the prison systems. I mean, it, it talk, also talks about elderly and pets. I mean, how many horror stories do you hear about nursing homes and how the elderly are treated, you know? Uh, yes. That, that's kind of a commentary on, on the society that we live in today. Yeah, and we're talking about when was this episode made, 2000, mm-hmm. so we're, we're almost 15 years down the road. Well, we are 15 years down the road now, aren't we? Um, and, and those sorts of things are, are progressively, it seems like, worsening, mm-hmm. it seems like, in the news. And so, yeah, I mean, you can almost draw a parallel. Mm-hmm. The, the the fall of the Commonwealth, and, and, and we see kind of a fall in, I don't know what it is, what would you call it, common decency, I guess? Yeah. It, it, um, you, you can almost see that just in the 15 years or so from when this episode was made. It was bad then, and it's it's just as bad now. Mm-hmm. And it looks like it's going to continue to get worse for the next 3,000 years. <laughs> <laughs> well, so you, you think somewhere in between now and that 3,000 years, there, there's going to be an uptick somewhere. The Commonwealth is going to come in there someplace. That's right. I mean, the, the Perseids have not helped us uh, get into the Commonwealth yet. Right, so, right. Uh, that that was that was something that's throwback from the last episode we learned about the uh, the Perseids were very instrumental in getting the oh that's uh, right the, the humans the Earthlings into uh, into the Commonwealth yeah so we are we are forever ever thankful to them for that <laughs> even though all they do is just talk talk oh, talk, talk, man. talk talk like they sometimes just kick him in that weird chin. <laughs> Yeah. I mean, you think Harper's annoying. Put Harper in a room with two Perseids. I mean, try to get... I don't know how they got any work done. But you know what? That's last show. We're, the, we're moving on. We're on, we're on this on. show. Yeah. <laughs> Let's save it for next time we see Harper with some Perseids, because I'm sure it's going to happen again. But as far as just uh, the whole, the episode, just as a whole, uh, how do you feel about this episode? Um, yeah, you know what? This was actually a, an enjoyable episode for me. And the reason why is because we got out of the corridors of the Andromeda Mm -hmm. Ascendant. Um, It was nice to see a change of scenery. And we got a lot of that. Even Mm -hmm. though, and I think we're going to be, we're going to be out outdoors in a few more episodes. I think even in this first season, there's a couple more episodes, I think two or three more where they're out outside. And even though we're going to get to see a lot of beautiful British Columbia, (laughs) (laughs) it, it, it was refreshing to be outside of the ship mm-hmm. and, and to see a story told on a planet. Na- mm-hmm. Now we're getting, you know, pun intended, we're getting down and dirty. Mm-hmm. We're getting into the, in, down with the dregs, you know, the, the peasants. Yeah. And we're seeing how the fall of the Commonwealth has really messed up, you know, the universe. Mm-hmm. And so for that reason, I think it was an enjoyable episode. Um, so, yeah, I mean, we're outside the ship. We're on another planet. It was good to see a change of scenery. Uh, and for that, I, it was it was an enjoyable episode to watch. Is it the best episode? No, because as we talked about, you know, there was some costume issues and, you know, <laughs> there was some production deals and kibble. Mm-hmm. And I think that literally was probably livestock kibble. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but, you know, and then, you know, gosh, now that I'm really thinking about it, Rami in a cage and the Leia <laughs> outfit, you know, all of that stuff aside... It was a change of pace, mm-hmm. and, and this is the I, I think this is the first time we've seen a real change of pace as far as setting mm-hmm. and our characters in the in a different setting, mm-hmm. and so it, it's a good episode. I recommend watching it. Yeah, 
I, I think for for all the reasons that you just said, it was uh, it was a very watchable episode. Um, a lot of the things that you kind of had a problem with, I'm not sure if I had as much a problem with. Um, maybe the Zach's costume. It was it was just it was a little bit too too cheesy, a little too furry. I don't know. Um, but you know what? That's nitpicky. Yeah. And oh, I agree. Yeah. It, it, the uh, Rami and the Princess Leia costume, I didn't have a problem with that particularly. <laughs> and, and it was nice to get off the ship and find out and, and, and see see the some of these characters in, in a different setting. Um, but I think, you know, even more than that, it was it was really interesting the things that we learned about the characters. And specifically trance. Um, I don't know if I want to say learned because they're kind of things that we already knew uh, a little bit. Yeah. We, I, but this was more reinforcement. Yeah. It felt and, like. and, and if it, well, like you said earlier in the show, if you, if you haven't figured out already that there's more to trance or if you're not convinced that there's more to trance than what we're, what she is trying to lead us to believe, there's there's no denying it now. Right. There's something going on there. She she's a a huge player in this. And we're starting to to really get a glimpse, I think, of what trance is able to do. Um so to me the 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 trance aspect of this episode is way bigger than all the stuff that happened on planet side of this episode. Yeah. To to me, that was everything that Dylan and Rami were doing down there on the prison planet. That was all just a vehicle or a stage to tell this other subplot of what's going on with trance. I'm going to inter- interrupt you for just a second because okay. I came down a little harder on production value than than you have. You're more willing to give it a pass. I am going to just bring this up because I'm. I just want to make sure we're getting the whole picture here. Okay. Imperial Royal Guards. Oh, yeah, yeah. I know. I, I forgot about so, this. So have we touched all the bases? Yeah. And you're still okay with that? <laughs> it, you know, a show needs to make you laugh, too. Okay. <laughs> That's a good answer. Right. Oh, okay. I'll, I'll, I will accept that. Okay. All right. And, you know, it, it's hard to not draw from other sci-fi sometimes. True. You know, it, it, as inadvertently as it might be at times. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Inadvertently or overtly, I guess those words are kind of interchangeable sometimes, as in this case. But so, I kind of, I, I just kind of feel like, yeah, the just the the whole Dylan Rami story was really there just to tell the trance story, which to me was story arc wise. This is the real story. This thing going on with trance, that's the real story. Yeah. The thing that happened on the prison planet, well, that's just a thing that happened. Yeah. You know what I mean? No, I, I totally agree with And you it was that. a good story. I enjoyed yeah. what happened on the planet, but it's completely inconsequential, big scheme. True. Yeah. Are we going to come back to this planet? I don't think so. Well, Dylan did not indicate that he... When, when Jessa says, you know, hey, come back, check on us and see how... And he's just like... It's hmm. it's when that one acquaintance of yours says, "Hey, you should come over sometime." Yeah. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, okay. he he doesn't even give like a half sincere, oh, okay, you know. I mean, he just he just flat out doesn't answer her. Yeah. So. <laughs> You're right. You're right. <laughs> so he has no intentions of ever coming back here. Right. But uh th- that's what I picked up from it. But um yeah, I mean, I I I actually did enjoy this this show. And and I know I've put a lot of emphasis on the trance story rather than the Dylan story. If you're going to watch this show just just to stand alone by itself as an episode, then you're going to watch it for the Dylan story. Yeah. Because then the trance story doesn't make sense. Right, right. Um, so just standalone episode, the Dylan and Rami story, I enjoyed that story too. Mm-hmm. I enjoyed it enough to just watch it by itself. Yeah. So... I mean, when you take those the two different stories, and I liked both of the stories, then I have to say that, yeah, yeah, I enjoyed this episode. Yeah. But that's just me, and that's just you. But uh, we'd love to hear what everybody else thinks. So, Ethan, if they wanted to send us an email, 
Where could a person do that? They can do so by sending it to drivebackthenightpodcast at gmail.com. That's right, and we're also on the social media. We're on Twitter and Facebook. On both of those sites, we are using the handle AndromedaPod. Our home is on Podbean. We are andromedaseries.podbean.com. And also, Ethan, why don't you tell us about our iTunes site? Uh, you can find us in the iTunes store. It's Drive Back the Night Podcast. Be sure and leave stars or a review. We would certainly appreciate that. And we once again would like to thank our friend Tim Kimmerly for lending us his voice for the opening quote at the beginning of each show. And we are an Age of Geek production. That's www.ageofgeek.com. And you can watch these episodes on YouTube at the Andromeda TV YouTube channel. And we hope that you'll join us back here again next week as we discuss all great Neptune's oceans. Thank you.